Elijah, a man just like us. And we are going to be covering a bigger portion of chapter 19. If you have your book in the book of First Kings, if you have your Bible, uh, phone, iPad, tablets, internet, whatever you find your Bible, the book of First Kings, chapter 19. Father, we thank you in the same spirit as Pastor Fikri already prayed that you will speak to us. I pray, my God, that none of us will go home doubting that they are no children of God. That today will be a day where we will be fully convicted that we are children of God. If we can go home with that, O oh Lord, that will be a big achievement. And so speak to us. Remind us of who we are and whose we are. That we are your children. That we are not slaves of fear, but your children. And so we thank you and give you all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, I'm sure you have enjoyed the previous Sundays in this series. But as I jump in, I want to ask a question that uh, most of us might have a connection to or might relate to. And the question is, have you ever felt sorry for yourself? Mm. Have you ever felt sorry for yourself? Perhaps you worked so hard for your company and made great riches for them only to wake up one morning and realize that the promotion you are expecting for had been granted to someone else. How does that feel? Oh, like most of my brothers and sisters here who are very persistent about sharing your faith. You want everyone at your work to know that you're a believer. When you go to the restaurant, you tip so well because you want the other people to know that you're a believer. When you board a taxi or a bus or whatever, train, you go to the sports, you want people to know that you're a Christian. But when you look back after five years of doing that or seven, you realize that you have no follower. Nobody. And you convince yourself that you are a complete failure and you feel sorry for yourself. The truth is, as we will see, even the best men are men at best. Even the best men. You might convince yourself that you are the best at your game. But what happens is that uh, one night we hit our record high and then tomorrow we hit our lowest. That happens to all of us. We find ourselves depressed, afraid, and feeling abandoned. And when you look at the story of Elijah, you see that nobody embodies this reality than the prophet Elijah. In one night, when you look at chapter 18, he hit his uh, record high, his Mount Carmel record, broke the internet. Man had likes, the man had, like, had comments, everybody was looking at Elijah. The internet was overwhelmed. But the next morning, 
This man found himself in a dark, damp cave. How does that happen? High, low. So today we continue our series, and we'll be looking at uh, a man who was a single-mindedly committed to his God, Elijah. He's by far the most famous and dramatic prophet in Israel. As we read in the last weeks, you see that this man predicted the beginning and the end of a three-year drought. He represented God in a showdown with the priests of Baal and Asherah. He appeared with Moses and Jesus in the New Testament transfiguration scene, if you have read Matthew 17. In other words, I would say Elijah was and is still a big deal, whether we like it or not. My brother Ken, uh, your son, yes. <laughs> Elijah is a big deal. However, as I mentioned earlier, even the best men are men at best. Elijah was not a super saint. He had his own flaws, and just like us, he struggled with self-pity. At the peak of his ministry career, Elijah became overwhelmed with fatigue and spiritual depression. He focused on himself and his own circumstances and eventually sank to the bottom. So let's look at this man. One of the greatest Old Testament prophets at his lowest. He teaches us a lot of things. Uh, but I love what we will be seeing in this chapter 19. That even when Elijah hit record high and hit bottom, God never abandoned him. God showed up. So before we blame this man, I want our eyes to, uh, let's focus on God. That one thing he will be teaching us is that we'll see how God's call upon Elijah conquered the self-pity that was on this prophet. So our big idea, if you're writing your notes today, you can say that God's call conquers our self-pity. And the question I have is, how does God's call, how does God's call conquer our self-pity? The first call we see in this series is that God calls us to himself. Chapter 19, verse 1, I'll read up to verse 8. I have told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Now, if you're reading here, you need to be aware of chapter 18. What happened in chapter 18? I hope you were here last Sunday. I hope you've been here for the last three weeks because I am now going to be reading chapter 18. I already have a very long portion to read. <laughs> so I'm going to focus on this. If you haven't, when you go home, you can read it. I'll be just hinting on it a little bit. I have told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Who is Ahab? Let me ask some questions. Because for people who have been paying attention, we might want to know what is happening. Who is Ahab? Hands up, please. Come on, preach with me. If you guys don't, I'm going to ask these people. Because these people were here last week. All right, who is Ahab? The king of where? Come on. Israel, which Israel? The northern ten tribes. 
Hallelujah. Clap for yourselves. <laughs> Ahab told Jezebel. Who's Jezebel? Ah, uh, chorus answers. Come on. Caleb? The wife of who? Ahab. Clap for yourself. <laughs> all right, you guys are paying attention. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. That's a mouthful. Then he was afraid. Who? Elijah. Then he was afraid, and he arose, he arose and ran for his life and came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Still have a long way to go. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came, sat down under a broom tree. And he asked what he might die, that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Verse 8, And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. We saw that God's call conquers ourself pity. How does it conquer self pity? Number one, that God's call conquers, calls us, God calls us to Himself. That's how He conquers our self pity. It may seem strange that at the peak of this man's ministry, Elijah, the man who calls fire down, the man who executes hundreds of pagan prophets, if you read the previous chapters, the man who prays rain down, would run for his life at the threat of a woman. Jezebel is Ahab's wife. She is a daughter of a Sidonian king who was a great worshiper of Baal. So you have Jezebel, who was born in Baal worship, married to a man, converts him into Baal worship. In Africa, would say she is a daughter of a witch doctor, and so the witch doctor king imposes his witchcraft into another kingdom, and now this kingdom is also infected with the same witchcraft. And not just that, this woman has influenced her husband, and they have a table where they seat 850 witch doctors. It is complete sickness in a territory 
that belongs to God to have 850 witch doctors. Jezebel was not an easy woman. It shows you how Elijah was threatened at the messenger. It shows you how volatile Queen Jezebel was. Uh, she hated Yahweh worship. She rounded up and slaughtered at the prophets of the Lord, if you read uh, chapter 18, verse 4 and 13. And so when Elijah comes down after the hiding and he sets this Mount Carmel showdown, Jezebel in her mind knew this was her moment to shine. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you're tracking, just say, I am tracking. So Jezebel knew this was going to be her moment to shine. Except something happens. Something happens. Imagine this woman in her house. The rain has not rained for three and a half years. So she's sitting at Jezreel, Jezreel in her palace, and the husband has been at Mount Camel, and Elijah has been there, and the prophets of Baal have been slaughtered. But she doesn't know. So she's sitting at her home, and she hears a drop of rain coming on the roof. So she has 850 prophets, so she knows this might be, this must be our day. My prophets have come through. So imagine when her husband shows up and tells her, honey, babe, <laughs> she's like, tell me, tell me. You should have been there. Oh, what do you mean? Verse 1 tells me, I have told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Honey, Baal has failed us. Witchcraft has failed us. We have all repented. Because he did. The people repented. Like Pastor Fikro was saying, what did they say? The Lord is God. Everybody repented. And then, I think Ahab says to the wife, I think you should too. <laughs> Everybody has repented. I think you should too. If you are like me that likes to read between the lines, you may notice that probably Ahab and Elijah had the same expectation. Because the whole nation has repented. The only person remaining is who? Jezebel. And so I believe Elijah is hanging out, Jezreel. Remember, he ran ahead of Ahab. So he's hanging around Jezreel by the, by, by the palace as Ahab is talking to the wife and laying down the whole thing. So Elijah is hanging around waiting for a moment to go and lay hands on this woman and say, hallelujah, the whole nation has come to God. Now I can lead Ahab in the ways of God. 
The prophet is waiting. But when I have told her the truth, how does she re respond? How does she respond? Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this life. This woman is no joke. <laughs> she chose to stand out, just herself, and remain in her witchcraft. And that shook the man of God to the core. In other words, she's saying, go tell that troublemaker that his days are numbered to one. <laughs> one day, by the sound of her paganized oath that we just read, Elijah was shaken to the core with fear. And so without thinking or consulting God, Elijah fled south to Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, if you read verse 3, and left his servant there. Now, Chris, do we have that map? Anybody with a map? If we, if you, you want, so these things are happening. Oh, this thing. All right. Everybody can see this? We may not understand what's going on. Uh, don't laugh at my map. I had to find something a little bit funny, but also that would tell the truth. So what is happening? What I just explained is here. This is Gilead where Elijah was born around here. Tishbe, right? So what happens is uh, to Mount Horeb, Ali travels. So you see what is happening. Zarephath, when Elijah started his ministry, where was he? When he started his ministry, probably here. Uh, yes. So he started his ministry, and then famine breaks down, declares famine. God sends him over here. To, uh, so he starts from here, right here. Let's say this is Samaria, where Jezreel is. And then he declares famine. God tells him to go up here. Uh, he'll be fed by the ravens. You can see a raven. And then he goes up to Zarephath, and he's there for a while. Then he comes down Mount Carmel. That's there. And the whole thing happens. And then this man, after he receives a messenger from Jezebel, he goes all the way down here to Bathsheba, right here, under the tree. In one sentence, Elijah covers over a hundred miles. One sentence. By the threat of a witch doctor queen. Why? Fear. <laughs> Fear. Fear. In one sentence, Elijah covers over more than 100 miles, leaving behind Ahab's kingdom. He went in a day's journey according to verse 4. Verse 4 tells us that he himself went a day's journey. He did not, he did not just stop there. 
he went into the wilderness and came and sat down on the broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Now, this is where self-pity took over for Elijah. At this moment, he looks back, and all his years of ministry seem like wasted years. And so, he turned in his resignation to God, I want to die. And he chose to become a non-prophet ministry. <laughs> chose to become a non-prophet ministry. But I want you to notice something. That amidst this resignation process, amidst this giving up, something spectacular happens. Another messenger arrives. Not like the messenger of Jezebel. And he lay down, verse 5, and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel. Another messenger arrives. And what does he have? An angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. God's room service at its best to a prophet who just submitted his resignation. Think about such a God. A prophet who just said, I want to die. I give up. I am not a prophet ministry anymore. I am a non-prophet ministry. I want to be, I have given up. I'm just like my forefathers who failed and gave up. Another messenger arrives. But unlike Jezebel's messenger, this one is different. Comes with a different perspective. He's on a different mission, but before this mission, like I said, God's room service. Elijah must rest and be nourished. He's walked a long distance. He enjoys room service, but when you look at verse 8, and he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days. Before he eats this second meal, he even wants to die. Enjoy room service and rest, but he still wants to die. So the messenger shows up again. Eat. Now the messenger tells him, you're going to need this food. Because where you're going, you need it. I know that's a lot of explanation. I needed to catch up a little bit. Have you ever felt defeated in something that the only option is to give up? Ever felt defeated? That the only option you have is resign. Some of us may be defeated in your career. Your career. You study something and you wonder. After graduation, you apply here, you apply here. Someone who studied something and you end up in a whole different direction. And you don't even enjoy it. You can't get a job for what you studied for. And even what you're doing currently, you don't enjoy it. And you have a mountain of student loans that you have to pay. 
And every day you look around what you call yourself a failure. And you just want to resign. Perhaps you have tried so many relationships. Every man that comes in your life promises you heaven on earth, even when we are on earth, and they can't bring heaven down. And so they go. And you ask yourself, what happened to me? Maybe you look back in your family and no one who has ever gotten married is stable. Maybe I'm going too far. How about married people? Married people. You can struggle with marriage. <laughs> struggle. And every day you want to give up. You want to give up. I've spoken to brothers. Everything, every time something happens, you, you see text messages. Victor, we need your help. We need your help. Crisis, crisis, crisis moment. And then the first word that comes out of their mouth, I'm done. I'm done. Maybe you have been there. Look at this man throwing in everything and saying, I want to die. And in that moment of resignation, God shows up. and doesn't just show up. He shows up with a freshly baked meal. Oh, my God. That is the kind of God we serve. That even when you're at the point of saying, this is it, I am done. He's saying, no, you are not done because I'm not done. You may be defeated, but I am God who does not get defeated. And so put your game together and understand who you are and whose you are. Because I'm not a God who's about to give up. Your wife may be unshakable, your marriage may be shaky, your job might be shaky, your career might be shaky, but we have a God who's not shaky. He shows up. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't understand, I don't know if you're getting this, but we serve a God who shows up and not just show up and watch as we wither away in our fear, depression, and anxiety. He shows up with the room service. He says, I will take care of you. You need some food. You need some community. You need some people. This is why. This is why. We love Life groups a lot. Because the biggest enemy that he uses on the children of God is to isolate them the way he isolated Elijah. If the enemy can isolate you, he will paralyze you. And you know how we get defeated? He's telling ourselves, oh, I studied this stupid course. Now I don't even know where it's going to take me. And then you are in the kitchen, but you studied interior designing. Or you find yourself, you are mapping people's toilets, but you studied something that now you come, you study arts and something, and you're like, what? Then you isolate yourself, you get in your car, you eat your hot Cheetos, and you drive home, and you're so isolated. In that paralysis, <laughs> in that, I don't know where hot Cheetos came from, but in that, <laughs> I have a daughter who loves hot Cheetos. In that paralysis, the enemy isolates you. Don't you let 
him isolate you. Don't you let, because we have a God who does not give up. He stays and doesn't just stay to watch us wither away. He calls us to himself. He calls us to himself. He invites us to see his grace and mercy on Mount Calvary, uh, where Jesus died for a people like me and you who felt defeated, gave up his life so we may become triumphant on our mission. We are not alone, children of God, any longer. If you want to go home now, you can go, but I want you to go home with this one little thing. You are not alone any longer. The day you accepted Christ in your life, you are not alone. You don't just have God our Father. You have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have a church community. So don't you let the enemy isolate you. Another call we see in the call is the call of truth. Truth. Chapter 19, verse 9 to 14, and then I'll read uh, 18. Chapter 9, verse 9. There he came to the cave and lodged in it. Remember, he has left Bathsheba. He left his servant. He has gone all the way to Horeb. God knows what he's looking for in Horeb. Because God has, hasn't told him. Hasn't told him to go to Horeb. He didn't tell him to leave Jezebel, Jezreel. But this man is so confused and so afraid, so he's just running. And running, he doesn't care. He doesn't even feel the heat of the, of the desert. He's running. So he leaves his servant in Bathsheba. Now he's gone all the way further south to the mountain of God. There he came to the cave by the mountain of God. In it, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He said, this is Elijah, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even only I, felt and they seek my life. And you can read that. Oh, it's a lot of work. 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and a strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, the earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he rubbed his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. Same answer. The God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. When you read verse 18, God tells, God tells him, Yet I will leave 7,000 Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to bow, and every mouth uh, that has not kissed him. When God wanted Elijah, 
to hide by the brook. He spoke to him. When God wanted him to go to Zarephath of Sidon, he spoke. When God wanted Elijah to show himself to King Ahab in the third year of no rain, he spoke. But when Jezebel sent a messenger who spoke to Elijah? Nobody. Nobody. When Jezebel threatened him, God did not speak. Instead, Elijah, who was a big God, focused his eyes on a small messenger from Jezebel without consulting God. The man put his eyes on the messenger of the Sidonian witch queen, but not the word of God. And he left. In short, Elijah took things in his hands and fled without consulting God. That's a bad place to be. Without consulting God. And what does God need from him? God is pursuing him to remind him that the servant of the Lord lives by the word of the Lord. And when he does so, God provides for him and keeps him safe. And so God shows up and asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? This would have been a great moment for self-examination. For the man of God to ask himself, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I think I, you, you have a point. What am I doing here? But you know what he does? He blames the people of Israel. We've been there. <laughs> he blames the people of Israel. For the people of Israel, if you read verse 10, part B, have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars. Yes, I know. But you didn't answer my question. What are you doing here? I would have asked, what are they doing here? If they were the nation of Israel, I'm asking you, bro, what are you doing here? And the prophet could not articulate his answer. Though he deflects, and when God saw that he's still deflecting, he called him out of the cave to give him a different perspective. So he shows him all these majestic ways that he is still in charge. God is trying to show him that he is still in charge. I know and I believe that often we find ourselves faced with the same question. What are you doing here, Victor? There are places you go to where God did not send you, clearly. You're hanging out at a bar in the evening, on, on Friday evening, and all these pretty girls are passing by, and you know your Christian brother's out there, but you chose to mute your phone, make it busy, and you're just hanging out there, tossing a glass back and forth. Another shot. They pour it in. Huh, huh. Another shot. <laughs> Pour it in. And the voice comes in that moment. What are you doing here? Put your name. 
What are you doing here, Victor? Well, you know, my dad has you tossed the glass. This relationship is toxic. Another shot. And the voice comes again. What are you doing here? In a casino at 2 a.m. A child of God, what are you doing here? On a dating app that has sucked all your brain in a phone. And you're there every day. What are you doing here, my son? We find ourselves wrestling with the same question. What are we doing there? What are we? You can put your name there. Then we start to blame others. We blame our friends, our parents, our boss. What are you doing here? God called Elijah to the truth. Think. And so he asked him that question. The third call, I'm going to speak a few, skip a few things here. The third call that God calls us is the call to serve. Call to serve. God calls us to serve. Verse 15 and 17. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Now see how that verse begins. And the Lord said, Now God is speaking. God said, God, and the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king of Assyria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. In other words, God is calling Elijah to serve. So he calls us to serve. What we have here is a prophet that's focused on himself, very inward, very depressed. And when you notice here, you see the tender treatment and nourishment has done well. But God does one more thing that I want you to look at. One more thing, a task. He gives him a task. The best thing you can do to someone who is so inward, spiritually depressed, is to give them a life-giving task. God knew I'm not going to win this argument. What are you doing here, the, the people of Israel? What are you doing? And he says, now get out. I got something for you. Now, I know you are radical for me. You want to purge Baal out of this nation. I am too. But I need you to know you cannot do this alone, young man. Now, get out of this cave and go. Now he gives him another long walk. And he has to walk. He has to go and anoint a king and then anoint another one. And then God tells him, 
Anoint Hazael to be king of Assyria, anoint Jehu to be king of Israel, but above all, anoint Elisha to be your replacement. <laughs> I still need you, but you need more people. And you're not the only prophet. The man has convinced himself he is the only prophet. God says, no, I have Elisha out there. And not just Elisha. There are other prophets that were hidden in the caves, a hundred of them. And then he tells him, I even have 7,000 people who have not bowed down to Baal or kiss his image. So arise. Arise. Get out of the cave and go. What is God doing? God is working to give him a different perspective. To remind him that God is still in charge. And he gave him a task. Sometimes the best thing to do to someone, again, who's spiritually depressed, is to give them a meaningful task. Out of this task, depression is lifted. When you try to open up your, any of your internet apps that we use on our phones, I'm not a very internet techie. Uh, Pastor Fikre is, thank God. <laughs> but I believe that today we live in a world that is run by algorithms. When you open up YouTube, the next thing you see something pops up. You open up Snapchat or anything. Algorithms run our culture. We depend on algorithms. Algorithms. Our shopping is algorithmic. That's the word. You can help me. Relationships are algorithmic. Eating is... Come on. (laughs) And sometimes you do ministry. Because something was suggested by AI and so on and so forth. The danger with algorithms is the unspoken evil of comparison. Because things pop up in different places, advertising about body shapes and workout and all these things that you see, you begin to compare yourself with what algorithms have suggested. And so you look at them, and you look at you, and you tell yourself, (laughs) how can I be them? So you convince yourself that you're a complete failure. You tell yourself, I can't be them, therefore, I give up. So we become paralyzed with self-analysis. Become paralyzed, you become depressed over things that don't even matter. It is an algorithm. It's not you, it happened in Europe. This is Michigan. <laughs> it's not you, but we become, we become so obsessed. A car is mentioned, uh, popped up, and it's a brand that you probably will never drive or you will never need. But you look at the car you drive and the house you live in and all these shows. Everybody wants a piece of you. So we compare ourselves. What's my point? 
My point is that God has not called us to a place of that I call paralysis of self-analysis. No. God has not called us to paralysis of self-analysis. God has called us to serve. And that's what he's teaching his servant. He calls him out to serve. God has called us to serve. He has a mission for you and me. And that mission is written so clearly at the end of the book of Matthew. And you know the first word that opens up that chapter, ends up with that chapter is go. That's the mission. Go. Don't die in your self-analysis, paralysis. Go. Get out of that cave of depression. Get out of your cave of comparison. Stop comparing yourself with people that will never even come to your house, that will never know which school you went to. Stop comparing yourself with the internet. You are not internet. You are a child of God and you have a mission. Go! Stop complaining about my mom. My, we all have parents and they let us down, but we cannot stay there. You can't stay there, child of God. If your parents let you down, that was your parents. This is you. You have a future, you have a calling, you have a destiny. Get out of that cave and go. Somebody's about to stone me right here. Get out of the cave. The past is done. God does not dwell in the past. He's in the future. He's sending his servant. I need you to anoint another king and another king and get a replacement because I don't dwell around failures. If those people fail, if you are, I have some things to do. I have nations to heal. God is looking for Elijahs and Elishas. He's looking for Jehus. He's looking for Elishas ahead, not behind. Behind is over. You remain behind, we'll find, we'll keep going, child of God. Leave the past in the past. Your boyfriend disappointed you, and you tanked, and you are disappointed. Get on your feet and go. And that's what God is calling us. To do. Go. You have a mission to tell people about Jesus. We have a mission to tell people about the love of God. On Calvary, we have a mission to reach. This world is full of bell worship. A lot of bell worship everywhere. It needs to be purged of bell worship. And God is calling out more ambassadors that are going to help, that are going to stand and slaughter those, those false prophets. I don't know how we slaughter them. <laughs> if it has to be winning them to the gospel, if it has to be knocking on their doors, if it has to be bombarding them with the gospel, so be it. Of course, I don't mean taking a machete. But we have a spiritual machete. Amen. So go. Go with the sword 
of God, we have a mission. We have a mission. Father, we thank you. Let me pray for us that you have given us a mission. You don't leave us soaked in spiritual depression. You never left your servant in there. You call him to yourself. You call him to the truth. And Lord, you call him to a task. You gave him an assignment. You call him to serve. Lord, you are calling us to yourself this morning. You are calling us, oh Lord. You are calling us. I hear you calling somebody and saying, stop. Stop being dwelling in the, in the past of paralysis. Whatever paralysis came in your family, whatever paralysis came in your life, I have a mission for you. I have an assignment for you. Father, we know that there is a lot of bell worship to purge this country, to get rid of. We can't do it by ourselves. We need you. So we ask that you will equip us and send us. We give you praise and all honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.